our spirits are broken. If we understood what it meant to be a human being, perhaps we could heal some of these divides. Perhaps we could move from freedom to liberation, right? Perhaps we can move from brokenness to being whole. Welcome to Beyond Religion, a podcast about unconfined spirituality. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lott. In today's episode, I tell you a little bit about myself and how I've landed on this idea to put yet another podcast out into the world. I have no idea where all of this is going or for how long, but I'm committed to at least 12 episodes, 10 of which are conversations with friends and colleagues who are also asking big and beautiful questions about spirit, energy, divinity, the universe, elves, magic, truth, you name it. We're on a journey, and I hope you'll join us as we consider spirituality beyond religion. Welcome back to Beyond Religion, Episode 3, The Reimagination. My guest today, Dr. David Robinson Morris, is an author, philosopher, social justice and human rights advocate, activist, educator, philanthropist, community organizer, DEI practitioner, and administrator. I'm really lucky to also call him my friend. Most recently, Dr. Robinson Morris served as the executive director in service to the Center for Contemplative Mind and Society, or C-Mind, a global community of contemplative practitioners and scholars whose goal is the ongoing development of racial, social, economic, and environmental justice, and the advancement of human flourishing within society and higher education. He's the founder of the Center for the Human Spirit and Radical Reimagining, as well as the founder and chief reimaginationary at the Reimagination LLC, a strategic consulting firm working at the intersection of imagination, policy, practice, and prophetic hope to radically reimagine diversity, equity, and inclusion toward racial justice and systemic transformation by engendering freedom of the human spirit and catalyzing the power of the imagination to reweave organizations, systems, and the world toward collective healing and liberation. He's also the author of Ubuntu and Buddhism in Higher Education, an ontological rethinking. I'll drop his full bio and link to his websites in the show notes because you'll want to learn more about who he is and how he shows up to work in the world. You can tell his ideas are not small. In our work together through the St. Charles Center for Faith and Action, where David has served as president of the board recently, this is one of maybe nine or 12 boards on which he serves, we have become real friends. From the very first time he walked into the room where we met, I felt like we'd always known each other. He's one of those magical beings who it seems like we're picking up mid-sentence every time we talk. He doesn't mince words. He often seems like he sits in the very heart of the path of wisdom. And David laughs bigger and better than pretty much anyone else ever of all time. There's a lot more I could say about him, but better to just introduce him to you. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, my brother, the academic, the mystic, the strategist, the organizer, David Robinson Morris. So almost every time you and I get together, I wish at some point in the conversation that I was recording you because I feel like (laughs) there's always something so good that comes up that I want to be able to remember it later. And I know I'm not going to. And sometimes I can write it down. Mm. Um, And also, I've been saying for a while that I want to create something with you. So my hope is that this is maybe the beginning of us formally collaborating and dreaming and um, not just uh, bemoaning the state of things, but actually making something new. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. And we're eating cake, and it's wonderful cake, and I'm excited about that too. So <laughs> I'll continue at this good southern table with my with my cake as we talk. Um, so I I know I've gotten your story before, but let's pretend like we're starting at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You were born and raised in Galveston. Yes. On the island. On the island. 
And when you think about the beginning of your life there, living on the water like that, mm. what are some of your earliest concepts of spirituality that you can Ooh. either think, remember feeling or seeing, thinking? Yeah. Yeah. What, what's coming to mind is um, I have a great aunt who married into our family. Um, she married my great uncle. Her dad was an old man when I knew him, um, but he liked to watch the sunrise on the beach mm. over the seawall. And on days that I would spend the night at their house, right, as a little kid, I remember walking with him up to the seawall to watch the sunrise. Um, and just sort of the, the grandeur of it all, right? Mm. The sort of bigness of it all. And here's this old man who's probably lived 80 years and this little boy who's probably seven or eight, mm. sitting on the seawall, watching the waves come in from the Gulf of Mexico, watching the sunrise. Um, and you just sort of think, oh, mm. what is this? Yeah. Right? Um, and you recognize how small you are in the largeness of it all. Um, that's the memory that popped into my head. And that was something y'all would do Often you would do Often, yeah. So it yeah. also had some element of ritual to yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And I think he did it every day. That's really cool. Yeah. Every yeah. day greeting the sun. Yeah. And you were raised in a Catholic family. Was yes. all of Galveston really Catholic the way no, New Orleans is? No. no. Okay. No, 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 no. I was raised in an, in an odd <clears throat> in an odd mix of a family. Very Christian. Right. But the the great grandparents on my gra maternal grandmother's side came from central Louisiana, from Alexandria LeCount, which is not very Catholic, right? So they were all uh, probably Baptists. Um, in fact, most of them were buried at Union Baptist Church hmm. um, in uh, LeCount. And my maternal father's side was Catholic. Um, okay. And so there was this weird mix of the sort of ritual of Catholicism and the what I call the wildness of sort of being a black Baptist, right? Um, that I got to see all of that in one big family. Um, it's very interesting. And my mother was also very clear that she wanted us to decide what religion we wanted to take up. Um, so I grew up going to mass. <clears throat> Uh, but was not first communion until I made the choice oh, wow. at 15. Okay. Um, and confirmed in the same year. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So you um, you would go you would go to Catholic services, but mm -hmm. then you would you would sometimes also go also go to Baptist services with yeah. the other family. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes watch the sunrise. Yes. Just was sort of a mix amalgamation of all yeah. of those things. Yeah. I have heard you say mm. that you grew up with a black Madonna in church. Mm -hmm. And it was a while before you saw a white Mary somewhere and you did not understand who she was. Yes. And I've also heard you talk about your gran. Yes. And I think she was the one who said, we are black first, we are Catholic second. Yes. yes. And I wonder in what way did that ordering tease out spirituality from mm. religion mm -hmm. and that iconography being around you yeah. um, would be an experience that most Catholics in this country don't have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's odd because I remember growing up uh, and at Christmas, you know, you have the, the nativity scene and we would go to midnight mass and somebody would walk down the center aisle, a little girl with black baby Jesus and his little afro. And that was the normal thing, yeah. right? Um, and then you're right. Growing up in this in this church, where all of the statues looked like me, they were all brown. Um, Saint Joseph, the Madonna, right? Saint Martin de Porres was there, um, and a couple of others, but none of them were white. Mm. Um, but the priest was always white, mm. which was also interesting. Oh yeah. Um, but the crucifix wasn't like flesh it was a brass crucifix right so everything was brown yeah um and i think i went to the cathedral basilica which was in galveston uh, at one point galveston was the county seat of the archdiocese um and at one point historical fact was the capital of the state of texas uh in the 1800s mm. um 
And I'm walking to this church, go up to the altar, and everything's white, right? And I'm sort of looking around, and I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here, yeah. right? The angels, the, the cherubim and the seraphim are all white, <clears throat> the stained glass, white figures, um, Mary and Joseph are white. Did you have an awareness that these are supposed to be one for one the same characters, or did it feel like this is a whole new panel, like yeah. pantheon of, of yeah. deity? You know, my cognitively, yes, of course. <clears throat> I, I re- recognize that these were representations of those figures, right? Um, but my embodied knowing said, these people are imposters, right? Mm. <laughs> right? Uh, what is this? Uh, and then I think I asked the youth minister, and she says, well, people like for them to be represented in their own culture. Mm. And I thought, okay, great, but that's not historically accurate. Um, they were brown people. They were not lily white folks. Um, at least Jesus, Mary, and Joseph weren't, right? Um, God has no face. Um, God is a being. And so these representations really struck me. Um, and even at home, we did not have a picture of white Jesus on the wall. Yeah. Right? That was not part of our, our understanding. Um, and you're right. My grandmother would often say, we're black first. You were, you were born black. You were made Catholic, is what she mm. would say. Um, and blackness has its own spirituality, has its own way of being in the world. Born out of ancestry, right? Born out of struggle and oppression. Um, but really born out of this embodied knowing that there is an interconnectedness with all things. Um, you know, I often say that we are the people of humanity's birth mm. and that our closest ancestor is God himself. And yet you're in this space where there's this white man. I know I'm so Baptist in this way that I, I talk about like the magic crackers that Catholics have. There's so like this white man with the magic crackers yes. that can somehow turn it all. Yes. Yeah. By his own, I don't know what. Yeah. Set yeah. apartness. Yes. Yeah. Powers. Yeah. I mean, it would to a child it would look like powers. It would look like powers. Yeah. Like now it's wine. Now it's blood. Yeah. Now it's a cracker. Now it's Jesus. Yeah. Do you think that there were any subliminal messages in all of that, or am I putting too much on it? No, no, I think there were. I mean, I was, I'll also say this, the people who knew me then will tell you I'm a very different person, right? I'm the kid who came home one day and said, the Pope is infallible, the church is the only true church, Mm -hmm. right? My mother looked at me and said, sit your ass down somewhere, (laughs) right? Go sit down, you know, shut up. Um, And so I, I believed what I was taught. Yeah. Right? Um, and you do that until you experience it for yourself. Yeah. Right? Um, and so the old white man, Father Paul, who I adored, um, and who was like a grandfather to me. Yeah. Um, spent way too much time with Father Paul. <laughs> um, and, you know, still asked for his help uh, when I need it. Um, but he was, you know, how do you explain your grandfather? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. Yeah. And grandfathers are magical in yeah. some ways, yeah. right? Um, and so for me, it wasn't it wasn't outside of reality for him to be able, through the grace of God, to perform this miracle every day. Yeah. Right? And so at some point, you felt drawn into that same work. Mm-hmm. And you, you began saying that you felt called to the priesthood. Yes. How old were you when you started talking about that? I was 16. Wow, okay. Um, and I joined the negotiate <clears throat> a month after my 18th birthday. Okay. Yeah. And what does that entail? Again, Baptists don't know much about it. Yeah. Basically, it's um, we didn't really make, we hadn't made, we hadn't professed vows at that point. Um, but it's offering yourself up to the church, to God, um, for service. Right? Uh, and so the novitiate was located here in New Orleans on St. Bernard Avenue next to... Uh, Corpus Christi Church. Okay. Um, it's called the House of Studies. It's going to be a Josephite. The Society of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart of Jesus um, is the full name. Okay. And basically, you go and you do your studies there, right? So you, you go to college. I was enrolled at Xavier at the same time, um, going through philosophy studies and um, doing service at parishes in, in the community um, and living in community. Right, so praying 
with other men who wanted to become priests or who had a vocation, um, learning to become brothers with him hmm. um, and to live with other people um, in harmony, which was very difficult for a person who was an only child for seven years. Right? Oof, yeah. yeah. And you're still friends with some of these guys today. Some of them, yes. Yeah. yeah. But you did not stay on that track. No. And you moved... So you you moved out of that communal living yeah. setting. Yeah. You left Xavier at that point? I left Xavier at that point. So I I called home... So I tell the story often <clears> about <throat> my, my dear mother, who basically on the steps of the, of the House of Study said... You probably shouldn't be doing this. Mm. Um, you are leaving my house, going to somebody else's. You're too rebellious for that. Oh. Number two, you need to go and experience life first. And if you decide after college this is what you want to do, you have my complete blessing. Yeah. Um, and she said, I know you better than you know yourself. Hmm. And I'll see you in three months. <laughs> and I tell people, literally, I stayed three months in a week just to spike her. Yeah. Um, but at month three, I packed up all of my things, put them on a Greyhound bus, called home and said, I can't do this anymore. And yeah. they asked me to finish out the semester at Xavier so as not to lose those credits. And I said, I can't do that. Wow. Um, at that point, though, I had gained 80 pounds in three months. Jeez, oh, Pete. Uh, I started having anxiety attacks. Yeah. Uh, my feet were so swollen I couldn't wear shoes, only Birkenstocks. Um, every time I got into a car behind a wheel, I had an anxiety attack. Uh, everything in my body was telling me to run. Yeah. Right. And this was also the time when September 11th happened. Oh, wow. Um, and that night, which is an odd story, but that night I could not sleep and I kept hearing planes mm. fly overhead. And it felt like somebody came and sort of laid over me and wrapped me in their arms. And I fell asleep finally wow. after being up all night. And I woke up the next morning thinking, I have to get out of here. Yeah. This is everything in my body is saying run. And because you're foolish and your ego's taken over, yeah. you want to stay. Um, so it was a big deal. I would have been the first priest from the island in 30 years. Wow. Um, so there were banquets and parties and masses and all of the things, um, which is the first thing my grandmother said when she saw me the next morning when I arrived home. What are we going to tell people? Yeah. And I said, tell them whatever you want. I'm not going back. It's like, do we have to return all the wedding gifts? Right, yeah. Right. Um, and that was the conversation. Right? Yeah, yeah. She had kept track of who gave what, right, to write thank you cards. And it was a conversation that you give these things back. Yeah. Um, you're not staying. They were done for, for you because you were doing this thing. You're no longer doing it. Give them their things back. Mm. Do you have clarity at this point around why you wanted to go in in the first place? I think so. You know, I think a big part of it, I think a big part of it was Father Paul. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, he loomed so large in my life, right? Yeah. Um, that a lot of it was like, oh, I want to be like him. Yeah. Right? Uh, my parents were not together. Uh, my grandfather, who's lovely, was around, but not very grandfatherly in that way. Yeah. Um, and Father Paul played a big role. Um and I think a lot of it was, oh, I want to live a life like he's lived a life. Yeah. Right? He was in the Battle of the Bulge. He was a prisoner of war. Mm. Um, came home, went to Harvard, marched with King. Right, All of those things. This old white man. right? Um, just a really interesting life. Um, and his brother was a priest uh, who lived with us at Holy Rosary in, in community. Wow. Um, Father Charles Bannett, who was the president of a college at one point. So, so that means they're in the Jesuit tradition? Are the Jesuits no. always education? No. No, these were... So Father Paul was a Josephite. Okay. Um, which has a, um, a black apostolate, right? So okay. they, they evangelized to black people in particular. Um, his brother Charles was a priest of the precious blood. I don't even... I've never even heard of that. Mm -hmm. um, and he had two sisters who were nuns. I want to know everything about this family. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a family of seven. How do four, four of them years. end up... Yeah. Yeah. And they're all still living? No, no. Oh, okay. Um, most of them, are, I think of the baby sister still living, but wow. all the older ones are gone. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, the, the pastor I grew up with, I mean, again, 
Baptist, Baptist for almost yeah. my whole life. Yeah. Um, but I grew up in Mobile, which is a pretty Catholic town, right. not as Catholic as New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and my pastor had studied in Louisville with Thomas Merton. Mm. So he was at a Baptist seminary, but would go spend weekends at wow. Gethsemane. Oh, my goodness. I know. Yeah. And um, there was this appreciation for mysticism yeah. and this admiration for certain certain specific figures within Catholicism yes. who definitely were embodying something yeah. that was different than what a lot of religion offers, mm-hmm. not not just Protestant. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that we're using that word a lot, embodiment, already. I, um, we, you and I have talked about embodiment, and mm-hmm. we've talked about, joked about, what does it mean for people to be in their bodies? Because mm-hmm. that's a really popular wellness phrase mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I wonder as comfortably as it's coming up here, how do you understand spirit as Mm. being part of your embodied Mm. experience? Mm -hmm. I think I'm thinking my understanding of God as a kid was always that God is beyond Mm. above beyond. And it took a long time for me to get to a place of understanding that God is within. I feel like I'm still really working on What does it mean to not go seeking and searching beyond mm-hmm. myself, but drop in and trust yeah. that that knowing is in there yeah. and that all of my thinkiness and everything else mm-hmm. is, is keeping me from it? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact moment, <clears throat> right? But there, there has always been this understanding for me that if God is so big, right? then I have to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And this bigness can sustain my questions. Mm-hmm. Right? So I still grew up in a house that with, again, with a grandmother who was very radical in some respects, but that was, you don't question God. Um, and we had a conversation one day, I was 16, <clears throat> and I said, you know, I'm really wondering about this thing. You don't question God. Mm. And I said, don't you think if God is all-knowing, if he's omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, can he take a question? Yeah. <laughs> or she take a question? And she sort of looked at me and she said, huh, yeah, maybe. And wow. Thought, okay, great. Well, then I can question, right? Um, and, and I saw her, so her understanding opened up too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe we can question this. That's great. Um, you know, the, the embodied thing and understanding spirituality for me, at one point, I think it's something that I've always known, one. Um, and I don't know how I've known it, but I've always known it. And I've had, getting to the hokey part here, but I've had some past life readings that have told me that I've always known it. But uh, there was a point in my life where I went to Adoration Chapel every day. Um, so Adoration for non-Catholics is sitting before the Blessed Sacrament, right? okay. the consecrated host, um, praying. Um, the, the magic. I was, gonna say, I was just about to say it. I was like, don't say it. Don't say magic crackers. <laughs> Sitting before the magic cracker, <laughs> praying. Um, and I went at least once a week um, and sat for hours in prayer. Um, and at some point, and I was in high school, so imagine how <laughs> odd I was in high school. Um, well, and that helped get to my, because there's something in me that comes up that's immediately envious of, I, I miss believing like that. Mm. And so for you to say high schoolers, like, okay, no, I still would have been deep in it back then. Might not have been that particular expression, but still very certain. So very, very certain. certain. And I mean, at that that age, we're all searching for meaning. Mm -hmm. Not that we ever stop searching for meaning. Yeah, but it's more voracious. Yes. Yeah. And more childlike. Mm. Because we think we might find it. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, so we go sit before the Blessed Sacrament for hours um, and started to take a journaling with me and realized I would come out of those those sessions before the Blessed Sacrament not even realizing how long I'd spent there mm. and I'd go back and read those writings and think I didn't write this mm. right um, and in one of those writings if I remember the, the line correctly I am you and you are me. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, well that, well, that explains it, right? Not literally, but we contain all of it. Um, and I am a very big, small expression of 
who and what God is on earth. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about um, all the I am statements in John that come up in Lent, and I am the vine and you are the branches. I mean, that's that's such connectedness that you don't, whatever is growing on the branches of the vine is coming from the vine itself, right? So the fruit is, it's all one. It's all one. Uh, And that's, that's not, that's not the tradition in which I was raised. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, I'm thinking, I mean, it was some of that, I grew up in that kind of Billy Graham salvation Mm. world Mm -hmm. of you've really got to recite these particular words. So if my perception is that Catholicism, you know, the the host is where the forgiveness is or whatever, that that, you know, if the power is in these elements, for us, the power was in the words. Mm. And it was a very thinky, you know, intellectualized uh, I believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior and died for my sins mm-hmm. and I accept him into my heart. Like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, Billy Graham had gotten it down to like 20 yes. words or 20 something. Words. Yes. <laughs> and I can remember being in high school on some kind of church trip and saying to one of the older people who was a chaperone, so really all you have to do is just say these words mm. and believe it. Mm. And that's all there is to it. And he said, yeah, it's just that easy. And I was so unsatisfied with that. Um, Because I can also remember people making fun of Hare Krishnas, Mm -hmm. which now I love. Mm -hmm. I love Hare Krishna chanting. But um, at the time, making fun of like, well, if you say Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna, like do the whole thing. Then now you're Hare Krishna. Mm. And I'm like, what? Why would like if you just? It's like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Right. If you're just incant, <laughs> incanting these words, now suddenly you are that thing. That's right. not what it. That's not what it means yeah. to embody something. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still figuring out, as one who has been so comfortably in my head, yeah. what does it mean to drop into mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. Especially when in Christian language, I mean, you get to the magic crackers because of incarnation, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> Every Catholic yes. in America is going to hear this podcast and come after me. I mean it with affection. I mean it with affection. But, you know, why, why mess around with a body if a body doesn't matter? Right. Um, right. And I have not found... I have not found in church mm. an adequate an adequate teaching of incarnation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't either, to be quite honest. <laughs> to be quite honest. It's, uh, yeah, how do we deal, now I'm just thinking out loud, right? Yeah. How do we deal with the issue of the body? Yeah. Right? Because the body does become an issue when we, we are so focused on the soul that, that perhaps we forget that we have a body, yeah, right, um, and that it too is an instrument of goodness and grace, yeah, right, and it's the only way that we can do the work that we are called to do on Earth. One of the only ways mm. is to be embodied. Not saying that the ancestors aren't doing their work either, because they are. My mind's going a couple of different directions. So the first thing that came to mind, one of the upcoming episodes of this podcast I'm doing with Jay Hogwood, yeah. and we're talking about growing up in purity culture. And that was huge in Southern Mm -hmm. Baptist life Mm -hmm. of not even don't touch, don't even want to touch, don't even think about touching. Just thinking about touching already has gotten you in a lot of trouble. So there's that disconnect from body because body is dangerous, but you can't trust what your body's telling you to do. Dismiss your instincts. Don't listen to it. Was that true in your... Yeah. 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 I mean, tribe being the product of a 16 and a 17-year-old. Right. That I mean, it was like they wouldn't call it purity culture. Yeah. Um, but that's what it was. There was always this warning, right? Of don't trust the body. And don't. so then, by the time you're 16, mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to take these vows. Right. Because the body can't be trusted. Yeah. Right. And then I I enter the seminary and the body turns on me. 80 pounds in three in months. Three months. Yeah, that's really right. something. Um, and so all of these things, right, it's not the body that's the issue. Um, but it is our hiding the body that's mm, the issue. Yeah, I'm thinking, um, so at some point in my uh, ministry years in Virginia, I made the choice that yeah. when, whenever I was a senior pastor, I would wear a robe every Sunday. Because yeah. I'd been in churches so far that either didn't wear them at all or only wore them 
like Advent and Christmas and Lent and yeah. Easter and not the rest of the time. Yeah. Um, and in part, that choice was because I had a couple of guys say gross stuff to me mm. in my last parish. Mm. <laughs> just Goodness. that, you know, wish yeah. you had been listening to what I said, but clearly you weren't. You were distracted by some other part of it. Um, and so I even think about in my role that I physically wrap my body, mm-hmm. that I'm shrouded yeah. in this costume, yeah. this role that I play yeah. that um, that is more and more it more and more feels dishonest mm. like to hide myself feels dishonest mm-hmm. to put on the costume so is there a way that religion can still be a portal for truth telling mm. if there's so much of it that's hiding and <sighs> oh, I don't know yeah I I don't know the answer to that yeah um, what I will say is that if we want to keep religion I'm not sure that we want to keep it yeah then it has to be about truth-telling, right? I think it was meant to be about truth-telling. Yeah. Um, one of, the, one of the, the things, one of the reasons why I wanted to become a priest, right, was because I wanted people to understand and reach the fullness of themselves. And I thought religion, institutionalized religion, was a way to do that. Yeah. Right? And I became an educator, which is a different kind of religion, mm-hmm. right, that helps people reach the fullness of themselves. Um, so in some ways, the role hasn't changed, right? The way it looks has changed. Yeah. Um, but if religion is to survive, and again, I'm not sure it should, yeah. in the way we've been doing it, then it has to tell the truth. Um, and it has to understand that we are clothed in humanity for a reason. Mm. And in all of the complexity of that, there's grace um, and difficulty. And um, that we have to work through that on this side. Yeah. One of the things I've gotten in the habit of saying every week at Prayers of the People in our service is um, just sort of riffing for a while until I sense that people have settled. Mm. Knowing, just acknowledging that we, we're distracted. Some of us are angry. Some of mm. us are thinking of other stuff we need to be doing. Yeah. Some of us are heartbroken. Mm. Some of us are over the moon and in love and mm. elated and maybe a mixture of all those things at yeah. once. And for too long, we were told there's not room for any of that here yeah. Yeah. because this is supposed to be about mm. uh, adoring a God who just needs to, a fan club. Mm-hmm. I mean, really... It, when you break it down like that, yeah. it's almost embarrassing how long that, embarrassing. That's, that's what we were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but instead, what if there is room mm. for all of it and we hold it together yes. instead of pretending that we aren't carrying it and bringing yeah. it here? And I can feel that the longer I sort of talk, that i got to give everybody a minute to catch up. Mm-hmm. There is this place where they believe me. Yeah. But it took me a while to get sure. to the point that I could believe that. Yeah that I could be in sacred space and fully myself, mm-hmm. which is problematic, which is part of what needs to die. Yes. You, um, you wrote last week on social media, mm. on, on the Insta and, and everywhere else, <laughs> cutting, shredding, releasing, mm. to go higher, think deeper, dream bigger, and imagine more. I have given myself permission to release anything and anyone that does not align with who, where, and how I am called to be in this Mm -hmm. season. May the harm be minimized. May all things be well. Mm. First, everything you write is beautiful. Thank you. And I'll put your links for social media in the show notes so people can find you. Um, Why is cutting and releasing a necessary part of dreaming and imagining? I, I think about Toni Morrison, right? Um, who says that that if we want to fly, we got to get rid of the shit that weighs us down, mm. right? And I think that's part of it. Um, what are we holding on to that isn't ours to carry? That never was ours to carry, right? Um, that is keeping us so weighted down that we can't fly. Yeah. Right. Or it's keeping us so stuck in our head that we never drop back down into the body, mm-hmm. right? Or it's keeping us such uh, so stuck in our body that we never touch the soul, right? All of those things um, aren't serving us anymore, 
They they are not serving us, and we are we are not operating at our highest good. Yeah. And so, in that post, uh, I I realized, and I've been going through this sort of transition period for I want to say three months of like really getting clear about what is mine, what isn't mine. Yeah. Um, and about the things that I've taken on that were never mine to take on. Mm. But I'm so busy playing Captain Save Ho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So busy. Yeah. Right? And that's not for the other person, that's for me. Yeah, well, I mean, because you and I have talked about when I play Captain as well, mm. and releasing that identity can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a rabbi friend who tells a story of being at dinner with his wife one night and the landline rings mm. and he's trying to ignore it to be present at the table. Yeah. And finally she says, oh, go ahead and answer it. <laughs> they need they you. Need you. Yeah. And there's something addictive about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, well, all these people need me. All these tasks yeah. need me. All these meetings need me. All these right. boards need me, yes. whatever it is. Yes. Um, and so sometimes the dreaming and the imagining, there's just not even space for it. There's no space. How could you know? How could you? How can you dream if yeah. you're only sleeping for two hours yes. a night? Yeah. Yeah. And you need space. Yeah. And that's not something that our culture is going to give us. No. Not at all. So it's it's pushing against everything to say, I'm going to take this for myself. Yes. I'm going to guard it and protect it. Yes. You can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. And what, what I learned, I think this was Eckhart Tolle who said this, right? But stillness is the language that God speaks. Mm. And we are in such a moment of productivity and busyness and hyper productivity and always having to do and yeah. be and run and, you know, complain about all the doing and being and running yeah. as a, and we wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, which really means we aren't listening. Yeah. We're not listening. Um, and I need to listen. Uh, not just hear, but listen. Yeah. Deeply to whatever God, however you conceive her to be, is trying to tell me in this mm. moment. And that brings me to another part of what you said in this. Um, part of what you are giving yourself permission to release is anything and anyone mm-hmm. that does not align with who, where, and how I'm called to be in this season. Yeah. Why does aligning ourselves with particular kinds of community matter? Mm. And is that informed at all by your understanding of Ubuntu? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. You got Ubuntu in there, too. I love that. Yeah, it... Yes. You know, you and I talked about this, right, about um, people's energy mm. and how high they're vibrating mm-hmm. and how folks who vibrate at a higher... And this isn't ego talking, by the way, but folks who vibrate at a higher energy are attracting low vibrators, right? And what I know is that the high energy has to flow to the low. Yeah. And so you find yourself at the end of every day bone tired, right? Because you've surrounded yourself with people who are energy vampires. Yeah. Right? Now, you can't do your work if you've surrounded yourself with energy vampires, right? You can do your work if you've reached a place of homeostasis. Right, with the people that you surround yourself, yourself with and or you're trying to move to the next level. Yeah. Right? That's when you can do your best work. But for folks who are constantly draw, drawing on uh, your brilliance, right, your energy, your creativity, your imagination, your knowledge, that's wearing you down. Yeah. Right? And one of the things, I, I learned many things from my grandmother, but one of them was about dating. And this is going to sound really awful. But she said two things. One, uh, you can date potential, you can't marry it. Ooh. Right? And you shouldn't date it that long. And two, if you date someone, again, she's an old Southern woman, right? If you date someone who is not in your social standing, who is beneath you, they will drag you to the gutter with them. You, very rarely does it happen that you bring them up to your, to your level. And I thought she was harsh. Yeah. Until I started working with people who were in the gutter. Yeah. And realized, I stink. Mm. I smell like trash because I'm working in the gutter. And in my very Christian mind, 
I'm doing the Christian thing, right, and trying right. to help people and bring them along. But in, in the meantime, they've, they've drugged me down. Well, and, and I think we can talk about that in ways, too, that don't. I mean, I think it's fine to be harsh, but but if we want to separate some of the judgment from that, yes, yes. part of what I'm done with right now yes. is people who are uncurious. Yes, yes. When you are so content to not ask questions, so content not to yes. change anything about your yes. life, I, I, I don't understand it. Yes. And I that's not who I want to have around yes. me. Um, I'm sure I've told you years ago, before I had kids, I got to go spend a day in D.C. Mm. with Gordon Cosby, who started Church of the Savior. Yes, yes. And he was at that point in his early 90s, at wow. least. Um, and he was, I was saying something about, I said something about being disillusioned with the mm. church. This is almost mm. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he got really, really animated. And mm. he said, oh, this is wonderful because it means you were living and functioning under an illusion and now it's gone. Now it's gone. And so now you can see things for, as, for yes. they, what they really are. Yes. Um, and the other thing he said to me that day, or it just in front of me that I hold on to, is he got also really animated about whatever it was he sensed God was calling him to do next. Yes. And I remember thinking, that's how I want to be. I don't want to be... 75 and I get an easy chair and I sit in it and I'm just lost to television forever. I want to be in my 90s sensing, yes. maybe I'll use different language, yeah. but sensing you know, that, that the divine, that spirit, yes. that whatever this thing is, yeah. is still drawing me towards yes. Yes. the highest and best version of myself yes. to work for the wholeness and healing of yes. all things and all people. Yes, yeah. And the work doesn't stop when your time on this side is done, right? It keeps going. That's that's one of the beauties of spirit. Yeah. Right. Um, is that we understand that that this this embodied form is finite, right? But we are infinite, um, and the work keeps going. So the work keeps going, mm-hmm. and your work is in part right now about reimagine Lucian. Mm-hmm. What is it? How'd you come up with that language? Yeah. Um, what's your vision right now as a reimagined Lucianer? Is that what you call yourself? Yeah. A reimagined Lucianary. Reimagined Lucianary, that's right. Yeah, so the reimagined Lucian is, um, in sort of real terms, it's a small consulting firm, right, that really helps folks um, to rethink, to dream bigger, to expand their understanding about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and justice. Um, for liberation and collective healing. Um, it came about, you know, I did some work within a system um, as a diversity person and realized that we have really shut down our imaginations, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's, there's a wonderful line and something that I read recently and it said the first thing to go in an oppressive system is the imagination, mm. right? It's the first thing that's closed down. Mm to be able to think outside of what's been thought. And we look at enslavement and we, we think, oh, well, why couldn't they read? Why wouldn't you allow them to read yeah. or to learn, right? Because that opens up the imagination. Yeah. And it allows you to think outside of what's been thought for you. And everything that we encounter comes from the imagination. Mm-hmm. It once existed in someone's imagination. Um, and so I find that to be very compelling that we have to free the imagination. And so the work of the reimagination is really about imaginative freedom, um, which leads to human liberation, which I hope leads to, to collective healing. Uh, and we need all of that uh, at this moment. That sounds like a lot of work, David. It's, it's a <laughs> lot of work. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of work. But you know, the, the key to revolutions, right? So reimaginationary, a reimagination is the combination of uh, revolution and imagination, mm-hmm. right? Revolutions are not these large, grand uprisings, right? They are small, tactical maneuvers, mm. right? And if we think about a revolution in that way, coupled with the imagination, this isn't saying to uh, an all-white Baptist congregation, put a black Jesus on the crucifix, yeah. right? That would be a complete uprising and overturning of what they believed. But it is saying... Or a cartoon. Or a cartoon. Which right? has its own dangers, right? Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> but it could be saying, 
how do you engage with congregations that don't look like yours? Yep. Right? That's a small tactical maneuver that yep. opens steadily the imagination without overwhelming the system. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, too, about the stifling of imagination within religious systems and for how long the clergy were the ones who were educated and the yes. laity were not yes. and That's didn't it. have access to read scripture That's for it. themselves yes. and were told what to believe. Yes. And even in, a, even in a really progressive context, like I find myself, mm -hmm. I think there still is this collective suspicion of uh, reinventing or innovating mm -hmm. or... Uh, challenging even you know progressive orthodoxy if there is such a yeah. thing so why is it that systems mm. are inherently afraid of imagination because they want to survive right systems are only built for their own survival if we think about Christianity yeah right as a system then it murdered the other systems mm -hmm. that existed and coexisted with it right? yeah. the Gnostics the, the mystics all of them were wiped out so that this doctrine could be superior, right? And they even tried to do it to, 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 to the Jews. Yeah. Um, and so systems, again, only exist for their own survival. Their goal is to survive no matter what. And what I tell folks about, about transforming systems is that if we change, if we transform collectively, then the system, because it's only... Um, uh, concerned with its survival will change along with us because it wants to stay relevant. Or if it's a stubborn system, it will oppress that. Yeah. Right. If we allow it. Yeah. And do what it did way back then and kill off anyone who doesn't believe in it. Yeah. Right. But that's a choice of the people mm -hmm. because systems are made up of people. Yeah. I keep coming back um, to these words about cutting, shedding, releasing to dream bigger and imagine more. And I, I may be in a more cynical place right now with systems, um, not just religious ones. Yeah. I wonder how many of them just have to be burned to the ground before we can imagine yeah. more and dream bigger. Is it even possible to dream bigger and imagine more within yeah. mm. what the United States was imagined to be yeah. in yeah. the 1700s? Yeah. Yeah. Can you? How much can you? reimagine yeah. and dream within that structure yeah. um which sounds like i'm trying to start a different kind of revolution <laughs> but I, I you know I, I i i do wonder that for religion in particular yeah. clearly that's part of the the guiding question yeah. of this podcast yeah. is um, what does exist yeah. on the other side yeah. um and i mean that in a lot of ways mm -hmm. if we were to if we were to burn it to the ground mm -hmm. or if it collapsed mm -hmm. or collapses yes <laughs> what remains. Yeah. yeah, you know, your first question, you know, I imagine asking that question to Harriet Tubman, right? Who existed within the system. Yeah. Who um, used all of her imaginative power and her physical power to say this isn't right. Yeah. Right? And the story of Tubman is that Tubman had a deep connection to spirit. Right, um, and spirit is freedom. It's not enslavement. Yeah. Um, so I, I go back and ask that same question about my ancestors who, through prophetic hope, dreamed of a different day. Yeah. And then made it happen in some ways, right? Maybe not physically, but through spirit. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's possible. It's possible. Now, the issue is that we can reify things once they die if we don't, if we don't allow those bit to, ourselves to bury those things, we reify them, right? which is what we've done in this country. You know, we have Jim Crow, and now that that's moved into everything else, and redlining and all of those things. Um, so in some ways, we've reified the spirit of slavery. Right? Um, that's also partly because white folks haven't done that work, but we will talk about that today. <laughs> Tell the episode to you. We will talk about that yeah. today. Yeah. But, you know, so there, there is a way, even if you are not in power, to be empowered to mm -hmm. transform systems. Mm -hmm. Right? Again, the system can only exist if we capitulate to it. Yeah. And for a number of us, again, 
in an oppressive system, and a nation state is in some ways an oppressive system. Yeah. Um, it shuts down the possibility that we could be otherwise. Yeah. Like this is the way we have to be to protect ourselves, right? And it is it is generated off of fear. Oh, I was just thinking like the all of the rhetoric around yeah. people at the border. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to come in. Yes. They're trying to steal our jobs. Yeah. They're trying to change our way of yes. life. They're gonna speak Spanish. Yes. It's um I, I don't understand it. I don't understand the fear. I don't understand the scarcity. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the tight grip. Nothing can change. I mean, that, to me, that is going back to what I was saying about people who are not curious. Mm-hmm. I had a thought when you were talking that's not connected to what we're talking mm-hmm. about at all right now. But um, you talk a lot about ancestors mm-hmm. in a way that is pretty new to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also connected to the the religious context I grew up in that was very nervous about saints. Yes. Very nervous <laughs> about our neighbors down the street who yes. prayed to Mary and yes. whoever else. Um, and I wonder, do you think that there's interplay between those two concepts mm-hmm. of religion offering up saints and then yeah. your own understanding of spirit yeah. guides and Yeah, I don't think there's I don't think there's any difference. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, I think religion has called them saints, right? Again, as a method of control. Mm. Um, and to say that only certain people can achieve this status. Oh, and that the power structures have vetted them. Yes. They're saints because I say so. I say they're saints, right. Um, and the ancestors just are, right? And, and we all have ancestors. Yeah. Um, and if we truly believe that the soul does not die, then what the hell happens to it? Yeah. Right? Where does it go? Who who are these people? Where yeah. are they? Yeah. Um, then they exist for all of us. The good, the bad, and the ugly ones. Right? They're all there. Um, and you can call on them in any moment. Mm. Right? All of them. You can call on them in any moment. And sometimes you need the treacherous ancestor to come in and say, <laughs> hey, help me fix this. Right? Help me burn this down. Yeah. Um, because this does not need to exist in the world. And if I am wrong, I will deal with my karma. Yeah. Right? But they, they also stand and wait for us. That's what mm. I know. They stand and wait for us. Just like the words we speak. Say more. You know, there's, there's an African proverb that says, that says just that. Like the words that we speak stand and wait for us. Right? So speaking something into existence is literally that. Right? Those words are ready to be made manifest mm. the moment we speak them. Now, it takes some work. Um, but there, there's a way that when I call something that is good into the world, the energies come together. Yeah. Right? To make that thing possible. Now, through my own humanness, I can totally muck that up. Mm-hmm. Right? But they are waiting. It is waiting for you. And the fact that you had the thought, if it's a good thing, right, means that it is something that needs to be. And maybe it's not your work to make it manifest, but you have called it out into the world. Yeah. Right? I think about Elizabeth Gilbert talking about the muse mm-hmm. and that this this concept of there is a word that is trying to make its way out. Nice. And when she knows it's a good one, but she's not somewhere that she can write it down or that she's uh-huh. driving a car, that she'll say, hello, yes. I hear you. Please yes. don't go away. Yes. Please stay with me until I have a pen and I can yeah. remember this thing. It's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth. And it's biblical. I don't know the exact, you know, the word was made first, God was the word, the word was, you know, all of those things about the word. Oh, man. We were just talking about this. I'm doing this Wednesday night series right now called Lent is Weird, where I'm taking whatever kind of bizarre part of the gospel reading from Sunday we usually skip over because we are very uh, cerebral, progressive (laughs) white folk, and it's too strange to delve into. Um, And so one of them was dealing with Logos and John. Mm -hmm. Um, And for anybody who's not into church nerd stuff, they can fast forward for this part. But... um, I, I didn't have a great understanding until I was preparing this lesson, and I still don't know if it's a great understanding, but of this Greek notion of multi-leveled universe, mm-hmm. and you can have just this human existence, mm-hmm. but there is also this cosmic level yes. where the divine is interacting and moving, yes. and the Logos is what 
enables one to move between the levels and in between the words. And so for John to take that language Uh and say, okay, well, you know this, you know the Logos. Well, now I'm going to tell you that the Logos has been here from the beginning and was part of creation. And then you get to the, you go back to the creation story and now you have the divine breathing with words, a universe into being. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you go one step further, all imagination. Mm. All imagination. We exist out of the imagination of the Creator. And so does everything else. And therefore, all imagination is creative. Yes. Whether that's destructively created or beautifully, generatively creative. All of it. You probably, more than anybody else I know, pull together. I mean, I think from all the traditions, mm. I hear it all in you. I hear, I hear Buddhism. I hear a little yeah. Hinduism. I yeah. hear some metaphysical yeah. new age stuff. Yeah. And, um, and yet I still think that you hold to Catholic mm. teachings and upbringing as mm-hmm. being, um, a big part of your framing, mm-hmm. not just your past. Yeah. Um, and then you also talk about black spirituality mm-hmm. in a way that I can't know. Yeah. I can only visit a little yeah. bit and listen in. Um, so I wonder, has that is that kind of what's coming together for you at this point in your life, that learning to live with all of these things side by side, or is it like a buffet mm-hmm. that you're picking the parts that, that fit together? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I don't see any difference between any of them. Yeah. Right? They're different expressions of the same thing. Um, and I think that's what I've come to know, is that, you know, you just said, oh, I can't experience black spirituality, but you can, because it's human spirituality mm. that you're experiencing, right? Now, I just have it from maybe a deeper angle, because I come from the people of humanity's birth, right? Mm-hmm. Yay me. Um, but you're human. So you do experience spirituality, right? Black spirituality, in this country and context, is shaped... I wouldn't say shaped, it's through, it's through a lens of prophetic hope, right? But it is human spirituality. Um, it is an understanding that we existed before a Christ concept, mm-hmm. right? That my people were here, our people were here, and living and breathing and having their being before uh, the name God was ever spoken, mm-hmm. right? Um and that means something. That means something. It also means that, you know, we are narrative. Ooh. And that the stories we tell ourselves matter. Um, who's in the story? Who's central to the story? Who's the protagonist? Who's the anti All of those things matter. Um, and if you tell yourself a different story, you give yourself a different reality, right? That wasn't the question you asked me, so ask me the question again. No, no, no. I think I was asking you about um, bringing all the different traditions yeah. and teachings together into, well, embodying them, yeah. coming back to embodiment yeah. again, of, of understanding the language of the paths yeah. guiding you toward truth. Yeah. Um, and has that, has that I, maybe I was asking, has that been sort of a, a gradual coming together? Mm-hmm. Is that... Is that coming together more fully at this point in your adult life? Because it doesn't seem to me like it's conscious selection. Like, I'm going to take this, this, I'm going to take this meta loving kindness practice and I'm going to take this energy vibration work. Yeah. You know, I I think it comes from being, I'll tell you what it comes from first. It comes from being on a search for unhiddenness, right? Which is how Plato defines truth. I am always looking for the truth of the thing, not the facts of the thing, but the truth of it. Um, how does it make people feel? What does it mean to be human in that context, right? Um, what experiences of the human condition that are, are common across all of those understandings? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. I don't know if one perspective just gives you that, right? Yeah. Um, but when you look across them all, it is, you know, do good to others. Yeah. Right? Number one, right? You will suffer. It's what you do with the suffering that matters. Yeah. Right? Um, you are a body with a soul. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Pierre, 
You are a spiritual being having a human experience, mm-hmm. right? And if if those are they're more, right? But if those are the three sort of bedrock things in my understanding, yeah. Then the way I relate to the world, the way I see people, the way I understand the human experience has to be one of universalism, right? Um, and of being willing to tell the truth and say the hard thing, even in moments where I don't want to. Primarily for me and my own soul's evolution. Yeah. Right? Um, as a very quiet, shy child that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but also for other people. Because once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Yeah. And then you make a decision. Well, and I'm thinking back to talking about religion and systems um, being about their own preservation, mm-hmm. pr- wanting to protect their existence. Yes. And the, what you're talking about, what you're describing, is a threat to those mm-hmm. systems. Mm-hmm. Though what, what I sense in my body is how expansive and open that way of thinking and seeing yeah. is. Yeah. To um, I talk about threads, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. what is the thread running between... Um, you know, my Protestant Southern, in the American South, my Protestant experience, how is that connected to my friend who had this experience in Norway with elves that I'm going to talk to, or Iceland and the elves? Um, What is showing up across all of these ways and places and teachings? What's in Native American indigenous spirituality and what's in Celtic Irish spirituality that is... The oneness. Yes. Where is that language the same? Yeah. And so then why do we need to protect the systems and structures and tell ourselves a story that they're competing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we don't anymore. Yeah. I think we're at a point, I think, I'm hoping that we've evolved to a point, right? Well, you asked about Ubuntu earlier, right? That we understand I am, we are, God is. That's it. That's the basis of it. And if yeah. that is our understanding, right? I am being, you are, the I am, right? We are it and God is. Yeah. That we are all part of the same family, undergoing an experience for our soul's evolution, whatever that means for the individual, right? Um, the, the one thing about God, and somebody asked me this in a DEI workshop I did on Catholic social teaching, is God equitable? And I said, you bet your boots God is equitable. Hmm. Doesn't God give you what you need and gives me what I need? Well, yes, but that's that's equity. Sure, the sun shines on the just and the unjust, yeah. And the unjust. But what about the God of judgment? Well, fear. That's fear-mongering. It's fear-mongering, right? These systems keep us divided for their own survival. Yeah. What they understand is is wholeness and the oneness of creation. And maybe they don't understand it anymore, but they did understand it at one point. Well, and I would even say that the system of Christianity, particularly white Western Christianity, has done the same thing to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, because even, even the thing about, well, what about the God of judgment? Yeah. Would, I go to Matthew 25 where there's this judgment scene of how yes. the nations, not individuals, but the nations yes. are going to be judged. Yes. And it's in exactly what you were just saying. How did you treat other people? Yes. How did you treat the one who was hungry and thirsty yes. and the one who was a foreigner yes. and in need? Yes. Yes. How, how did you maintain collective well-being? Yeah. And now mm-hmm. your new work that you just launched is the mm. Center for the Human Spirit and Radical Reimagining. Yes. And the tagline or mission is engaging the human spirit to uplift the human spirit and transform society for collective liberation and new futures. Yes. I like that you think small, David. <laughs> you think like a, like a tired man who needs a vacation. <laughs> it's true. It's so I'm just, true. I'm going to transform society. Oh. Let's do it. But, um. but in a lot of ways, this feels to me like bringing all the parts of who you are and all the work that you have done under kind of one title and umbrella into one house, so to speak. Is that, is that the vision? Am I catching it? Yeah, I think you, you've caught it. It is, um, you know, we've come out of three years of death and dying, right? Difficult years. 
we are entering a period of economic instability, right? We've moved through a period of complete political upheaval, and we're still in it. Yeah. Um, we are dealing with not only death and dying from coronavirus, right, but we're also dealing with the extrajudicial murders of black and brown people mm -hmm. um, at the hands of law enforcement. Um, we're seeing the bitterness and the vitriol grow and increase in our communities. And we're seeing our communities become resegregated, right, all over the country, um, if not the globe, right, at this point, this is happening. And so what it, what it tells me is that we have bought into a narrative that we're meant to live that way, mm -hmm. one, um, and that we are not well. Our spirits are broken. If we understood what it meant to be a human being, Right. Perhaps we could heal some of these divides. Perhaps we could move from freedom to liberation. Right. Perhaps we can move from brokenness to being whole. That's the goal of the new center. Mm. And to do that through education, through outreach, through working alongside systems and organizations to get them to think differently about the work they're meant to do in the world. Yeah. Or if they're meant to exist at all. That's that can be the question. <laughs> yeah. That can be the question. Yeah. Um, because one of the questions that I'm asking everyone I get to have a conversation mm -hmm. with in this, what exists beyond religion? Mm -hmm. And I think that m might be the question of the moment as yeah. we talk about systems that have wanted to survive yeah. at all costs, yes. only for the goal of survival. Yes. And if religion, as I have known it, which in, in my tradition would be church going folk, yeah. if if that is changing forever, mm. Mm. what exists beyond that structure and that system? Yeah. That's a big question. Yeah. You know, it's a big question for me. The, the answer is simple, to be quite honest. It's no fear. Mm. It is no fear. Right? That beautiful line by Nina Simone, freedom for me means no fear. So there's freedom beyond religion because there's no fear. Well, David, thank you for your time, thank for you. your generosity, thank for you. Chantilly cake that yes. we got to enjoy. So Have another piece. I will. I'll stay around for a little while and visit with Coltrane, too, yeah. who has been such a good boy. True. You have been so good, Coltrane. Um, and there we could go on for hours, and I hope um, this is a good introduction of David Robinson Morris to people I love. Um, I'm glad to introduce you, who I love, to I love whoever it is that finds their way to this. And thanks for talking and for being my friend. Thank you. Thank you for always asking good questions.